0: Is that?
2: That's the second time it's gone on. They never got home, they never got home, they never got home, those, those boys. That's... Yeah. They have asked for that, really.
0: Yeah, you can laugh. I have to walk up. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me.
3: You don't know what you're talking about. When well, did you know that? I'd like to, to stay alive. For oh, days. Days. Okay. I'd lady. say it to thanks, i not say it to, you, say it well, to
1: you now. You I'm down to field and we'll see them,
0: will with What me? you're doing down here, you show me, man. <laughs> you're very welcome to the Irish Times, second captain's podcast. I'm with Devin here with Ken Erdie. Hey, how are you doing? I'm pretty well, thanks, and I think it's only fair to kick things off. Well, I'm not doing that well, actually, Ken, because I have mm. to admit defeat in the fight against the greatest scourge of Premier League football. No, I'm not diving. Mm-hmm. not feigning injury or waving imaginary yellow cards you've been
1: waging war on all these fronts
0: uh, You know those ones yeah but on this one I speak of course of the non-celebration celebration after players score a goal against their former clubs you know what I'm talking about
1: well you you, you have been campaigning against that for as long <laughs> as I can remember
0: Jake Livermore delivered a classic of the genre yesterday For okay, Livermore is a man given his break in the professional game by Spurs mm-hmm. fair enough but mostly loaned out to other clubs during his time there I was just having a look back at the day. He barely played for Spurs, thirty odd games, yeah. before being discarded altogether. Ah, you're on loan at Hull, going sign for Hull, couple of million. That's yeah, fine. yeah. See you later. He's immediately he scores, slams in a goal against Spurs for Hull City. SA, is immediately submerged by a, by a mob of jubilant teammates. He, he's barely visible amidst this scrum of, of footballers. Yeah, and yet he manages he manages to free both his arms just enough to extend the palms of his hands outwards and execute the classic. Look at me! I'm not celebrating this goal pose. Not to be confused with the calm down, calm down pose, which has a lot more arm movement. Up yeah, and
1: down. like Cristiano Ronaldo scoring uh, a camp now to win the league for Real Madrid.
0: Yeah, it's okay. Everything's going to be okay. I'm here. Yeah, it's uh, oh. no. Th- this is more. It's more stoic looking. It's more. Uh, it's because it's so still. Because it's so little movement, you're immediately drawn to it. Here's a guy with his arms outstretched. He doesn't want to score against us. I'm sure it wasn't form. just that
1: that someone he, he was having a nerve pinched or something? <laughs> Uh, in that in that massive bodies, it was definitely a gesture of um, apology to the yeah, Spurs fans. Apparently,
0: Jamie Carger picked up on it as well. I didn't see it live, but Carragher picked up on it and thought it was a little bit ridiculous. It's just it's a pose at this stage. And if the young footballer scoring against his former club, who rejected him, is not prepared to celebrate against them, then I'm afraid this particular fight, Ken, has been lost, and uh, and the plague is here to stay. We've got Dion Fanning and Philippe O'Clair on the show today to talk about the crisis at Liverpool. And the crisis at Arsenal. <laughs> Some crises for top Premier League teams. Let's kick things off with Kennedy's report on sport.
1: So I suppose the Liverpool game was yesterday. We might as well talk about that one first. That one. Uh, Jamie Carragher had a few things to say after that one. I was watching this with a lot of interest. Jamie Carragher. A lot of games for Liverpool. He soldiered for them for many years. He soldiered alongside one particular member of their team for many years. Uh, I don't mean to suggest that Jamie Carragher and Stephen Jarrett are bosom buddies. I never really got that impression. But they are guys who obviously know each other quite well, professional colleagues of long standing. Uh, and I'm sure, uh, I mean, Gerard was a hugely talented player who, thanks to his presence in the team, Jamie Carragher won some medals in his career, you know? Thanks to each other, you could say. But Gerard did a lot of the heavy lifting on, on those, on some of those medal situations. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, in such a in such a circumstance... You'd be reluctant to uh, really go. For I mean, say say for instance, Owen, um, yourself and myself, Oh, yeah. professional colleagues of long standing, mm-hmm. uh, were to end up through some 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 disaster was to happen. They were to tape our secret conversations, our off-air conversations. It was to be re- released in dribs and drives on the internet, and we both had to resign in disgrace. You end up out in Qatar presenting uh, presenting a late night talk show, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you're presenting a late night, late night talk show, you start a blog, you know, boasting about how much money you're making over there and, uh, and what, great, what a great country it is and sure. how great the World Cup's going to be um, and all those kind of things. And I'm I'm sitting here, I, I actually managed to get a, a new job working for a startup website uh, uh, as a, as a, a TV, I, I sit there writing blogs about TV programs. Yeah. I, re, I recap the, all the TV that I'm watching, which is what I do all day, every day. And you actually get a break into Qatar TV over there, right? Mm-hmm. And you're presenting a show. It's just you and Graham Souness, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe, maybe you, Graeme Souness. Maybe then you, David May. Premier League Legends. Uh, Legends Hour. The Legends Hour with O McDevitt. It's on at 3 a.m. And I have, yeah. to, I have to write a critique. I'm given the assignment of writing a critique of your show. Yeah. Am I really going to stick the boot in? Well, it depends on whether I consider you responsible for the, you know, the, the, the demise of our career. Maybe I've got some, maybe I've got some hidden resentment, some harbored resentment over that. But do you think I might be inclined to give Premier League legends with Owen McDevitt a bit of an easy ride?
0: Seven cans out of 10, even if I wasn't. Maybe
1: even seven and a half.
0: Well, I would hope.
1: He's not lost it, you know.
0: (laughs) I would hope you'd be scrupulous. Sure. Fair. Sure. Yeah. Positive towards my new Qatari you, measure. Would you
1: hope I was fair and scrupulous or would you hope I was positive?
0: Positive would be the biggest
1: positive, answer. yeah. You know, look, I'm sure, like, I mean, Jamie Carragher's job is on Sky Sports. It's a job of huge responsibility and, and everybody who works for Sky Sports takes it takes integrity very seriously. Uh, you know, it's, it's you know, <laughs> conflicts of interest or, you know, anything like that are frowned upon at Sky. Uh, Jamie Carragher, is a straight shooter. Um, I was waiting to see though if he was going to make any mention of Stephen Gerrard's performance. I could say that his performance has his, his performance the other day had slipped a little from the Stephen Gerrard that we remember at his in his the peak years of his career. I'd say he was a, a little short of those standards, and i just wondered at some point will will Jimmy Carrigan mention it. The answer is, not really. He did show a clip of the uh, second Crystal Palace goal, which was scored by Joe Leslie and Steven Gerrard's part in that. Now, in fairness, Dejan Lovren, De- Dejan Lovren rather, uh, play, played a, a more spectacular part in this goal. Um, as Balassie was able to flick the ball over his head, Lovren turned around and fell flat on his face. That's, that's, that's going to catch the eye. When you're when your twenty million pound central defender does that, uh, but Stephen Gerrard, uh, it, it was to be noted that when Joe Ledley arrived in the penalty area onto this uh, cross from Balassi, he was completely unmarked, um, and the reason that he was unmarked is that the defensive midfielder Stephen Gerrard had not noticed him. He uh, he was standing behind Gerrard. You see, and Gerrard didn't look around. so. So Joe Ledley was able to steal unnoticed into the kind of killing area in that, uh, the, the middle of Liverpool's penalty area, uh, onto a cutback, arriving onto a cutback with nobody occupying his space and was able to side foot the ball straight into that, you know, pretty bad goal to concede from Liverpool's point of view. Whose fault was it? Well, Jamie Carragher looking at it said, there's got to be more leadership here. And I thought, oh, he's really going to do it. This is going to be awkward. He might have to text him later and say, hey, Stevie, listen. But actually he said, no, it's Raheem Sterling needs to show more leadership. (laughs) 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 Yeah, Raheem. 18-year-old Raheem 19, he's nearly 20. He's nearly 20 years old and he should have shown more leadership. The leadership that he needed to show there was, hey, Stevie, there's someone behind you. Because, to be fair, Raheem Sterling was standing, pointing in that direction. He could see all this. He was standing behind Ledley again. And he could see Ledley, and then Gerard staring over towards what, where everything was happening, over where the right touchline, where the ball was. So he could have said, "Stevie, man on," you know, uh, "your ha- get your house there." Uh, Joe Ledley is about to burgle your house, <laughs> and um, uh, and he didn't, and Gerard didn't see him, and Joe Ledley scored. I do wonder though if a thirty-four-year-old. Um, a 34-year-old who's, who's played what, nearly 700 games for Liverpool, I think it is now. Is it? Certainly, nearly 500 Premier League games. Is well aware at this stage that football is a kind of a 360-degree game. You know, you got to be aware of those things. You got if you're playing in that position, especially, which is essentially a, you've got to be aware of where the other team are. You're primarily a defensive player. You're trying to block the gaps that your central defenders can't block. You have to be aware of that all the time. And he's not. You know, I'm thinking this is it's just not really good enough. I mean when you when you see a mistake like that, uh added to the fact that, you know, he no longer runs, he really is is there almost to take dead balls. He
0: made another a uh, more obvious on the ball mistake earlier in the half where he uh, it, it wasn't quite a slip like as against Chelsea, but it's slight miscontrol of the ball and I can't remember was it Ledley, one of the Players was in anyway. One of the past players was in to nip it off him in, in a shot, and it was one of those ones that Jared always gave the ball away from time to time. He he, he wasn't necessarily percentage. Usually the, trying to do something. Yeah, but this wasn't. This is was just tra- trapping a ball in midfield and trying to come forward with it, and suddenly it's gone, and they have a, I think a free kick on the, the right hand side.
1: Now, I mean, you know, there's obviously a lot of problems in that team, um, but I do wonder how long they're gonna. You know how long that that problem is going to keep going. You know, I mean, it's it's just one of the things that Rogers hasn't really looked at, hasn't really tried to change. He's changed most of the other players, but I haven't seen him make this particular change. And see how that would happen. Um, see how, how things would would work uh, if you have. Players there. If everybody in your in your midfield can run, as opposed to needing to structure it to protect the weaknesses of a player who used to be.
0: Well, that's exactly what Man United did with Roy Keane for a while. And uh, whether Ferguson thinks that was the right thing now to do, but it, that was part of the part of the issue. Ferguson, <laughs> I think both. I think Keane probably accepts that he still thought he could do. Maybe it might have been Ferguson who said, "Listen, Roy, you can't actually do all this anymore. So we're going to try and um, try and." Let the other lads do your running for you. Mm. It's probably a very patronizing thing to hear, particularly if you're a Keen or a Gerard who used to run all day.
1: Exactly. But unfortunately, this is the way um, time works it just sort of only goes in one direction and eventually it leaves all of us behind. And you've got to sort of accept that that's what's going to happen. I mean, Gerard has said that he's not going to retire, he's going to keep playing, he's going to keep going. Um, he wants more contracts I mean I wonder is he is he gonna what position he thinks he's gonna play I mean maybe he's gonna move down a different move down to a lower level but I mean he's running out of of places he can go I mean centre back
0: could he play centre back
1: could he play in goal uh, no, I
0: wasn't joking about the centre back. Maybe not for Liverpool, but centre back for he, a couple of seasons at a slightly
1: he might, he lower might, he he maybe he, he could be able to. I mean, at least um, as a centre back, he you, wouldn't have to turn very no. much.
0: And you you have to stay in defence. Well, you don't have to, but you should. <laughs> if you can't convince Stephen Jared to stay uh, defensively minded as a defender, then you're starting to get into maybe
1: a maybe that could even happen this season at Liverpool. I mean, if they're so desperate to keep him in the team, and it's not as though the guys who are currently there at centre back are any good. Um, but this is the thing. I mean, it just seems like a, a generalized uh, crisis of confidence. I mean, these players are better than they're showing. All of them are underperforming, though. You know, even the ones, you know, someone like Sterling, who's an outrageously talented player. He's not doing much. You know, he's completely... Uh, he's a completely lost direction as a as a player. I mean, they were all... They they all had someone to take their lead from last season. That person's no longer there. It's certainly not Brendan Rogers. Brendan Rogers speaking about this, he seems... You see, the problem is that he he almost seems like a little lost sheep now as well. You know, the 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 sheep is what the flock is wandering, lost in a storm, but the shepherd is just another sheep. He's as confused and frightened as anyone by the sounds of it. Um, by the sounds of of what he was saying yesterday, you know, talking about how I'm not arrogant enough to to think I'll be in a job through anything. You have to win games. He says, but I but I have a great communication line with the owners who've been honest enough with each other. But ultimately. You have to get results. You have to perform. In my first year, when we weren't maybe getting the results, we were at least performing well. So he's kind of laying the situation out there in, term, in rather stark terms. Yeah. I mean, they have lost more games than anyone. I mean, there's a couple of clubs who have also lost six, the likes of Villa and then I think Burnley. Uh, but QPR have lost eight. They're the only teams who have lost more league games. They're behind where they were you know, at this point of the of the Hodgson season. You know they've lost two more games than Hodgson had lost at this point, and Hodgson, remember, was being absolutely. Hodgson was incredibly unpopular from the outset. Uh, he was he was inheriting inheriting a team that had finished seventh the previous season. You know, which had no good players, no talent, not a team that had spent more than a hundred million players on more, more than a hundred million pounds, rather on on new players. It's. Uh, so it's, it's a shocking demise.
0: Yeah, it's also the body language of Rodgers. This is a guy... I mean, I'm reading Shane Curran's book at the moment again. The yeah. uh, Roscommon GA legend and a former League of Ireland goalkeeper. And he made the point that in his career, he had superstitions like a lot of like almost every sports person seemed to have, and to have in terms of when he comes out of the dressing room and those stereotypical things. But he said that the, the big thing that he used to make sure to do was always have a smile on my face going into the dressing room. I'm a positive guy. People see me as a positive guy. And that's the only way to do it. And I, I, I'm sure we'll talk to Shane about the book uh, at some stage in the next few weeks. And I do want to ask him, well, what happens when you're having a bad day or the team's doing really badly? Mm. How do you generate that positivity? And it's something that Rogers certainly uh, publicly does, I presume behind the scenes as well, likes to think of himself as uh, as somebody who leads by the example of how, how enthusiastic and how positive he is. Mm. And he didn't look that way to me at all. Yes, he looked like a guy beaten down somewhat.
1: Mm. Guy who's who's almost uh, begun to agree with uh, the kind of um, the, the harsher judgments on the on the team. You know, this yeah. the, the idea that this is <laughs> this is hopeless; it can't be turned around. And there's not a the way to turn the a situation like this around. I mean, ideally, you would start before you lose against Crystal Palace. I mean, they have lost four in a row now. It gets to the point where I mean, I remember, there was that surrender against Real Madrid in there as well, which I think has got a toxic aftershock. You know,
0: the surrender as in the away game when they yeah. picked their best team.
1: Oh uh, yeah, I don't mean the home game when they when they went out and gave it a good go and and were. But they played well in that three game,
0: uh, They lost by a lesser margin in the return game.
1: Yeah, but I mean, Rodgers had. I mean, Real Madrid could have won that game by however many they wanted to win that game. Is my belief. Real Madrid said, "All right, you're not taking it seriously. Well, neither will we. We'll score a goal." And then we'll just pass the ball around. Yeah, the game.
0: Does Cristiano Ronaldo think like that about any game? Well, yeah, Cristiano
1: yeah. Ronaldo did. Minnie had a couple of good saves from from him. That's true, but Real Madrid didn't stretch themselves, and I think if Liverpool had scored, Real Madrid would have been able to would have been able to bury them again. You know, if Liverpool, if there'd been a hand had had come out of the uh, the freshly turned earth, <laughs> uh, uh, there would have been um, yeah. Real Madrid would have been there again. So, so that's what I think. I mean, you you may. Disagree with that, but I think the signal that the manager sent was not good. You know, I mean, it was what he's sending all kinds of strange messages. You're, I don't, you're the player. You're a player. I don't have confidence in, or I don't have confidence in the ability of this group to to play this many games, or a general sense of shirking away from a challenge rather than meeting it head on. You know, there was other ways Brendan Rodgers could have done that. You know, he could have. I, I kind of feel that if Jose Mourinho had been in that situation, it may seem unfair to compare. Rogers with, uh, you know, a master like Mourinho. I mean, Rogers is novice by comparison, but he is the manager of the year. Remember, this is a guy who's got a lot of uh, props for his managerial nows. Mm-hmm. I think Jose Mourinho would have whipped his players into a frenzy for that week. You know, he would have been able to... He would have... He he would have found a way to play both matches, not just the Chelsea match, which was what Rogers did. Rogers staked everything on the Chelsea match and lost. He lost again. So... Uh, Really, it's 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 kind of crashing around his ears now. I mean, I'm not sure. There's this, this game against Luda Goretz this week, uh, which is going to be a difficult game for them. You wouldn't back them to win it in the form they're in now. A, a, a group stage exit from the Champions League. I don't think he's got that much longer in the job. As let's, happens.
0: okay. Well, we're going to talk to Dion about this in a little while. Anyway, let's talk to Dave. Let's talk about Dave Whelan. I should say
1: poor old Dave Whelan. I mean, this happened last at uh, the end of last week. Um, when Dave Whelan hired Malky Mackay, um, and then compounded what many people would have seen as a mistake in the first place with a series of clumsy remarks, um, <laughs> which were Dave Whelan not 78 years old, you might be inclined to view rather harshly. Um, and Dave Whelan um, has now said that he will resign if he's, if he's found guilty of, um, of discrimination by the FA. Um, what did he say? I mean, you, you're reading it in, in disbelief, really, when when it happens. Malky Mackay, as we recall, um, was sacked by Cardiff. And then, uh, well, as he was about to take the job at Crystal Palace, it emerged that there was a, a lot of uh, texts that had been sent between him and various members of his team at Cardiff, where he talked about, uh, he, he said... Well, one, of the, one thing that he said, <clears throat> one thing that Malky Mackay definitely had texted was uh, a reference to the Jewish football agent Phil Smith. And Mackay wrote, Nothing like a Jew that sees money slipping through his fingers. Um, now, that was one of the things that the Mackay was, had authored. Uh, Dave Whelan, uh, announcing that, that Mackay's manager, said, Well, he said, I don't understand why this is offensive. He says, the Jews don't like losing money. Nobody likes losing money. He says, uh, Uh, asked, and this is, I'm reading here from David Kahn's article in The Guardian, asked whether he did not think what Mackay had said was offensive because the claim Jews, quote, love money, unquote, has been used as a negative stereotype. Whelan said, do you think Jewish people chase money a little bit more than we do? I think they're very shrewd people. I think Jewish people do chase money more than everybody else. I don't think that's offensive at all, (laughs) says David Whelan. It's telling the truth. Jewish people love money. English people love money. We all love money. Uh, which is slightly different, of course, from saying that Jewish people do chase money more than everybody else, which is what he also said. Yeah. So this this is a you know, a, you know, uh, a famous anti-Semitic uh, trope. I mean, it's 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 pretty simple, really. It's pretty cut and dried. Dave Whelan, maybe seventy eight years old. Uh, but he should certainly know better than to think that that statement like that is not offensive. I thought
0: it was just on this um, promise to walk away if the FA if if the FA charge him. Does he mean he'll walk away in protest at the charge or in uh, in deference to the judgment? Well, if you okay, if I obviously I have offended people, so I'll walk away. Is it, is it clear?
1: Well, he's he's threatening he, He's threatening to quit. Essentially, what he says is, Should they even suggest I'm guilty, I would immediately resign from my position as chairman of Wigan Athletic. I hope they don't, and I don't see anything like that happening because I'm absolutely anti-racist. Always have been, always will be. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, he gave, he obviously, uh, he, he said a few things. He said, another thing was the was the use of the word chink mm-hmm. in the Mackay uh, text's, uh, whether Mackay was one of the ones that used that word, I'm not sure. It may have been his assistant or someone else involved. But this this word was uh, came up with reference to Vincent Tan, who was the owner of Cardiff. Um, Dave Whelan says, "If any Englishman said he's never called a Chinaman a chink, he's lying. There is nothing bad about doing that. It's like calling the British Brits or the Irish Paddies." Uh, this obviously was pointed out as not to be true by various Chinese community leaders. Um, Whelan uh, then says, "Oh, I apologize." He says, "I think uh, the reporter has misquoted me." It's David Cohen, I th- think that's unlikely. Uh, if it's causing offence to anybody, please accept my apology because I did not say that, and I did not mean to insult any of my Jewish friends or any of the Jewish people. I did not say that Jewish people chase money more than anybody else says Dave Whelan. I mean, it doesn't seem that he did say that. I said that Jewish people do chase money, like like we the English chase money, and I don't think there's anything wrong in chasing money because we work for it. If those Jewish people are offended by what I said, then I apologize immediately. Uh, On the word chink, Whelan said, there are all kinds of names given to people, to the English, the Scottish, the Welsh, the Irish, and the Chinese. People use these words a lot in common in various conversations. A lot of this talk goes on all around the world, and people accept it and take it. I don't think there's an insult meant. If somebody says to a Chinaman, you're a chink, Would he be upset about it? I don't know, really. If he was, I would say, I'm very sorry. I won't call you that again. (laughs) I mean, again, you know, when you're reading this, you're just thinking, oh, Dave. Yeah. You know, he was born in 1936. It's a long time ago. And, uh, I suppose he did grow up in 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 a slightly different world. He's still... He he still should know again, you know. With this, I think it's 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 a difficult it's a difficult one, isn't it? I mean, it is. It is because you're talking about it's more difficult than it was with Mackay, for
0: instance, or with uh, um, a, a comparison I don't even want to make because they're not even in the same stratosphere. Is Donald Sterling, mm. owner of the he was the owner of the LA Clippers, uh, eventually got his comeuppance after some racial uh, some racist comments I should say that he made. Uh, in a voicemail were were recorded and played online Uh, that, that brought him down but this is a guy who it wasn't as though it was a slip of the tongue or wasn't even it wasn't as it seems to be with Dave Whedon, a guy who uh, almost just, just watched though, too many
1: sitcoms yeah. in the 1970s.
0: Whereas a guy like Don Sterling acted out his uh, acted out his prejudices. I mean, he, he was a slumlord essentially, he kicked a lot of particularly uh, a lot of African American people out of homes. All these kind of things, uh, which confirmed the type. Of, so people knew what he was like. Uh, and eventually it was confirmed in, in the way that things get confirmed these days. Uh, voicemail is recorded and played on the internet. But this is... It is just, it's totally different. And of course, the stuff he's saying is offensive and ridiculous. I, it's just There are layers to these things, to an extent.
1: Yeah. Uh, Malky Mackay wouldn't talk about it. Uh, he said after the Wiggins games first game charge. I'll talk to you about the game, guys, because you've had your pound of flesh for me and everything else. Possibly not the best chosen metaphor from Malky Mackay... <laughs> In the circumstances. But uh, who knows what he's got on his mind. Yeah. Um, he, he So he wouldn't he wouldn't add fuel to the fire, let's say.
0: Uh, you want to talk about Arsenal, obviously.
1: Well, Arsenal Wenger, you know, 2-0. Uh, Arsenal are defeated after total domination of the first half. Um, great chances missed by Welbeck, and particularly by Wilshire. And then they just lose control of the game again. And you could say that the goal they conceded was unlucky. The Gibbs goal, although I felt he probably should have got up a bit quicker than he did. I kind of thought Gibbs is reclining in the penalty area. What's he doing there? Oh, the ball's gone in off uh, Kieran Gibbs. And then the second goal was just the kind of goal Arsenal usually let in, where they're all up one half the pitch, and the other team, oh no, suddenly get the ball. And it should have been 3-0, remember, because Angel Di Maria missed a one-on-one just before Giroud scored a goal, which Wayne Rooney forgot about immediately. I don't know if you saw, he tweeted something about how they won 2-0, then said, oh, I actually forgot Giroud's goal. So so that's just how much Giroud's goal counted. And the usual kind of stuff from Wenger afterwards about naivety, which Arsenal always seemed to be, um, and he never seems to do anything about it. But there was an an interview from, uh, see, you kind of look at that and you think, well, okay, Arsenal evidently are happy to keep chugging along with the same thing happening all the time under Arsene Wenger. They obviously haven't heard of the proverb, a change is as good as a rest.
0: Uh, Everybody's making enough money out of it. Wenger and the board are all doing fine.
1: Everyone's making money. Everyone's comfortable. Few fans are annoyed. But, you know, if they don't renew really their season tickets, they'll just get new fans. It's a big city, lots of people with lots of money. Let's not worry about it. Um, the, one, the one thing about it is that maybe Arsenal, maybe this current stale Arsenal regime with Kronka as the majority shareholder and. Venger as the um, you know manager of the football side could be replaced by something which was hmm, okay, a little bit more. You never know. Maybe maybe something with a big, bigger chance of winning the Premier League title, but not necessarily something that you could be more proud of. Uh, Alisher Usmanov, uh, now the richest man in Russia, instantly richer than Roman Abramovich, and the second largest shareholder in Arsenal, um, gave an interview to CNBC. Mm-hmm. Uh, in which he talked a little bit about Wenger. Now, he, I should say that he didn't tell Arsene Wenger how to do his job. Uh, he did give, uh, utter a couple of little axioms or aphorisms. He said, we have in Russia a proverb which goes, even an old lady can have a roof fall on her. <laughs> that's like quite a sinister <laughs> proverb. But I think, the, I think the meaning of it is good things happen, or, or bad things happen to good people, you know? You can, that's it's just a fact of life, you know? Uh, everybody makes mistakes. He can make mistakes. I know. As you age, it's more difficult, more challenging to accept one's mistakes. Maybe it's a problem today. So he's kind of saying, Banger needs to. Once you accept your mistakes, then you recognize them, and then you can over then you can overcome them. Uh, he he says again, I like Arsene for his principles, but principles are sort of restriction. And restrictions are always lost possibilities. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that's an amazing statement. But principles are sort of restriction, and restrictions are always lost possibilities. I think we know that uh, Mr. Usmanov wouldn't be overly encumbered by principle if he was to uh, if he was yeah. a, to, to want to become the leading light at Arsenal Football Club. Maybe Arsenal fans aren't bothered about that. Although I suppose you know whatever the drawbacks of the current regime may be. Maybe it could get even
0: worse. It's funny that the uh, potential owner of the club is the, is the one talking about bah, these annoying restrictions, whereas it's the manager. He's having to persuade the manager,
1: here, spend all my money. Please, spend. Uh, he's saying, essentially, that we need to get to spend, strengthen every position to get to the level of Chelsea, Manchester City, Real Barcelona, Paris Saint-Germain, Bavaria, and other clubs. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that's what he's uh, he's urging the uh, Arsenal to do.
0: That's the end Kennedy's report on sport. A flame hair, a flame the hair, lame throw of truth, Mr. Bro, Ken truth Mr. Ken Early.
1: Mr. Ken Early. Mr. Ken Every so often I'm on the bus and I suddenly turn around to bite someone. John Hayes I'm talking about, are John Hayes! Now, I always thought that was ridiculous. He had won the victory over himself. He loved
0: Brendan Rogers. Oh, That's where it comes from! Thanks a lot, Pepe. How much do you give a fuck? Fair to say, anybody could have managed those guys? No, of course not. Let me show you right now, for you give it up. Dion Fanning's on to talk Liverpool, Dion, and uh, just on Brendan Rogers looking so downhearted after the game. This is a guy we've touched on this already, who radiates positivity and presumably likes does that in front of the media. Presumably, prides himself on doing it behind the scenes as well. Is it fair in that context to read a lot into his words and into his demeanour uh, yesterday?
3: I think so. I, I uh, as you say, somebody who has put himself forward as as a, a leader of men and a, uh, you know a, a Liverpool manager in in the sort of finest tradition, um, you would expect him to be a little to be offering some sort of solution uh, or you know projecting some sort of vision of how he thinks they can get out of this. But you know, Rogers hasn't done that at all this season. It's it's been other people's fault. Yesterday, he kind of, I thought, kind of quite self-consciously said, "This is my responsibility." Um, but as you say, with with this sort of sort of uh, aura of of despair hanging over him, which is probably the, the way he things he, he should be feeling at the moment. But uh, um, it didn't it didn't look encouraging from a Liverpool point of view.
0: Well, it's the first time I've noticed him. Anyway, speaking. Uh entertaining the idea that he he does still have to prove himself to the owners that you're constantly doing this and he says he wouldn't have, you know, he, he doesn't have a, that, he's not arrogant enough to believe that he's going to be in the job forever uh, how likely is it that that uh, this term pressure is thrown around but I mean is it possible this guy could lose his job in the next few games but it doesn't go well?
3: I'd be surprised if it happened in, in the next few games because I think having come second last year and, and being in a title race um people would consider it a uh, sort of extreme short-termism and Liverpool. Isn't it even what even, happened
1: to Rafael Benitez? I mean, he was, but he, got, but
3: he got a full season after us. Uh, I, I, I don't, I don't think I think Rogers chances of being in the job next season are, 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 are quite, you are, are, hanging by hanging by a thread, but I don't know if he can, I don't know if it'll happen in the next few weeks. Uh, I I like this. The, the free fall is is quite spectacular. Um, it wouldn't be shocking if it happened, but I think uh, a club like Liverpool again has always had this idea that they they give people time. Um, and having been second in the league and in the title race last season, I think they'll probably do that. But uh, whether whether it's going to help things by giving them time, I, I'm not so sure. I think that there, every every aspect of Liverpool right now, every every area you look at is kind of is, is falling apart and it, there isn 't there isn't much to be encouraged by uh, and I think Rogers is going to have to get ruthless uh, if he's going if he 's going to change things
1: well here 's the thing that that I find a little bit difficult to understand about how rogers a man who has made uh, you know a very close study of public relations and how to how to conduct himself, how to communicate in public, why he 's sort of moping around. Uh, in in such a tragic way, um, and sort of agreeing with all the questions, saying you know your job could be in jeopardy. Well, yeah, no, <laughs> you know it's it's not what I expect. And when I look at the the table, it's so bunched up. I mean, Liverpool for 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 all I mean, however useless they've been, are still only a few points away from the Champions League places. Uh, I think they're they're five points off, five points behind Manchester United. You know, so which is not exactly. It's not an unbridgeable gap. It doesn't. It doesn't look good, obviously, and certainly after the results on the weekend, it, it looked particularly. It, it looks particularly bad, but. I mean, you see what where Alan Pardew's Newcastle are. It is possible to turn things around. Rogers is not acting like a guy who believes this that his own situation can be turned around. He's got this sort of fatalistic misery about him now. I wonder if there's something more going on that we're not even seeing, that we haven't seen in the six defeats that have been played out in public. Some other reason why Brendan Rogers seems to have given up hope.
3: Well, the, the, the strange thing about Liverpool and, and the thing that is... Uh, becoming apparent this season is the kind of ongoing dysfunction of the club. You know, when every every signing, there can be a debate about who signed them. So Balotelli, uh, you know, when when things started going wrong with Balotelli early on, Rogers uh, starts kind of distancing himself, distancing himself from that signing. So I think that the nature of the club lends itself to um, uh, conspiratorial sort of ideas around why Rogers would be feeling so downbeat. Um it may be that it may, it may be that he's just feeling particularly downbeat. He wants to kind of maybe he thinks this is how he will get to his players. I, I don't know. It, it's uh, it is it is a very strange um, way of going about it. As you say, when when there's an awful lot up for grabs in this season, when everybody is bunched up, nobody, none, none of the teams outside, you know, for battling for third and fourth are making a particularly convincing uh, case for for those positions. I mean, for
1: instance, Arsenal. You know, Arsenal lost to Manchester United in in a desperately disappointing result for their supporters. I mean, the stadium's half empty before it finished. The people are going nuts in the stands. People are throwing red wine at the Manchester United uh, bench. Uh, There's general rage. or I don't see anything from Arsene Wenger today saying, my job is now in jeopardy. I don't expect to, I know I can't survive, uh, you know, these kind of miserable runs indefinitely. But Arsenal are not doing much better than Liverpool.
3: No, but I, I don't think people are happier with Wenger because he's coming out and saying we have to keep the faith and uh, you know we were, we were pretty unlucky. And he, all he, the-
1: he's not sort of contributing to the to to the um, kind of narrative of, of crisis though, as as, as Brian Rogers.
3: Well, he is in a diff- well, in his own way. He is by again it's one of these things by suggesting there's no crisis. Uh, sometimes people feel that that adds to the sense of crisis too. Wenger's acting like there's really you know we we keep the faith," he said on Saturday, and uh, people wondering what what exactly that means at this stage. So I think I'm not sure Wenger is a is a is a kind of is an example. Rogers could be looking towards now as as a way of kind of you know getting out of this. But I, I, I do think I think there I think as I said I think there, there's a number of things wrong with Liverpool. Rogers' own, and I think he he does look like somebody who. Has failed to to address you know all a lot of the key issues and maybe that is and when he when he speaks after the game that yesterday I think that kind of manifests itself because he hasn't obviously Suarez is is the big one but you know Gerrard is, is is an ongoing issue he hasn't dealt with um, and this kind of systemic sort of lack of ruthlessness at Liverpool failure to to under, kind of understand things like Gerrard is 34 and is going to need to be replaced Suarez is probably going to leave is going to, they, you know, anyone who suggests that they thought Suarez was going to stay is is being fanciful. Uh, and the, the, the failures in, in that in that regard, for a club that prided itself uh, under under uh, you know, John Henry, that they were going to be very analytical, very uh, thorough in everything they do, to be kind of caught by surprise by these pretty obvious things, it doesn't say a lot about how the club is run at any level.
0: Yeah, and I'm interested in the Gerard element of that, Dion, in that, I mean, I don't know, maybe last year... This, the, the hint of a title brought out the last vet, vestiges of his brilliance and, and, and there were moments and you know, he, he was lauded for adapting to a new role but this year whether it was the fight just being knocked out of him by the way it ended last season he looks like he really is on borrowed time at the moment you were talking about the decision making process there who actually makes that decision now Jared has made his appeal via an interview essentially for a, a few weeks back for a new contract is Rogers going to have much of a say on that and if he did have a say should the, the say be to uh, say goodbye?
3: But Rogers said, "You know, it's now with with the owners, so it's not uh, it's not his uh, decision ultimately. Um, but I don't know if Rogers would be would be. There's nothing. Put it this way: there's nothing in 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 how Rogers has behaved uh, or has, has, how how he has managed Gerard to suggest that he would make that decision, that he would be ruthless enough. Uh, do you? You know, I, I think the first thing that <laughs> needs to be done is somehow." Moving him out of the you know as an automatic choice like that's that seems to be uh, just a very obvious thing to do that could be done quite well. It by by waiting and waiting it now looks like it's sort of a reaction to the crisis mm. uh, and uh, kind of making the situation worse. I you know last season like the, the last season Gerard was 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 very good in that role when Liverpool were attacking. He, he still he offered nothing. The Liverpool problem is in you know, obviously their defence is the same as it's always been under Rodgers, effectively. Um but now they're not scoring goals. Gerard is doing the same thing as a as a defensive midfielder now as he was doing last season, which is very little. And uh you I think you know, people talk about the Chelsea game last season, and I think the always the key thing with Gerard in the in in that game wasn't his slip but was his reaction to the slip in that game, which can be seen as a microcosm of, of how he plays in that role. He he panicked. He he was trying to become the hero to, he he saw it in kind of tabloid terms. He saw, when when you want somebody to be cerebral and again, analytical in that position, Gerard saw it as now I must be the hero. I'm going to shoot on sight. I'm going to, I'm going to rescue this situation. And that's exactly what you don't want Mm. from a player in that position. Yeah. Uh, And, and that's ongoing this season. And you look at his performance yesterday where he's kind of, all he is now is a kind of, Final signpost for for the opposition that you're about to be through on the Liverpool goal, you know. Like once we get past Gerard, who's just standing there, uh, kind of signalling the way through, we're we're through. We're we're going to be through on a defence that is that is you know totally vulnerable. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, I I, do, I totally
1: agree um, that that it's ridiculous to play him in every game. I mean, you know, when you look at players who have reached that the age that he now is, which is to say thirty four and a half, I can't think of too many top teams who are still playing. Um, players of that age in, in in such an important position in every game. I mean, I can think of skulls and Giggs and Lampard and so on in recent times who have played a lot of games for um, strong teams but also have spent a lot of time resting on the bench. And at least you would think that would have to happen with Jared. The other thing is that I was reading recently Graham Souness' autobiography and one of the things he talks about is how Liverpool um, were among the most ruthless of clubs when it came to replacing players they thought had had slipped. Uh, I don't I mean to say, whose standards had slipped uh, a little bit, who, who had dropped a couple of percentage points off their maximum. They just say, all right, if your time is up, we're going to replace you now. That was something that they used to do when they were good, but now it seems to have been replaced by this sentimentality over Gerrard, who, okay, is is a, obviously stands above the other players in the squad in terms of what he's done for the club. There is, though, a counter-argument, which is that if they were to say to Gerrard, okay, You've 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 been a great player for us for sixteen years now, and that's enough. So, good luck in MLS or playing for whoever it is you end up playing for next season. Um, what would actually be left? What would be left there of of the identity of the club? I mean, what link would they have to any Liverpool side that had ever achieved anything? Who would you know what what would uh, what would Liverpool actually be about if they were to wave him down the road? There's there's nothing there.
3: Well, there is. There is that problem, and I think there were times uh, in recent years when Liverpool, when when Suarez was out and Gerrard didn't play, that you kind of saw a team without any personality. And you know, when Carragher came back in on, in Roger's first season, he brought some personality to the side, um, and that kind of an, an influence that kind of goes beyond just the players on the pitch. It extends to the referee and things like that. You look at a Liverpool team without Gerrard, and they they have they have no presence. Um, but I think the, the the advantages of it probably uh, outweigh that at the moment. I, I agree with you, though. I think there is uh, there is a huge problem, and again, that comes from uh, everything is everything is interconnected with Liverpool because that comes from a failure to adequately adequately replace the players that you know the players that have left, like Suarez, and to plan for you know the replacement of Gerrard. You know, I think. A year ago, they, they should have been looking for a replacement for Gerard. So this, this wouldn't become a crisis. Even somebody like James McCarthy, when he joined Everton, would have been a good signing for Liverpool uh, as, as an, another midfield option. Um, and these players then could have perhaps grown in, in, into something. Uh, but again, the reason you're then looking at, again, this failure, this total failure, whoever is to blame for it, and I don't think you can absolve Rodgers or the transfer committee or anybody. But there's this failure of recruitment, uh, an inability to sign uh, good players, which which is, which ultimately is is. I, you know, Phil Neville said it on Match of the Day last night. You know, you live or die by your recruitment, and I think that is that is Liverpool's problem because I think you know, <laughs> if you were being a very ruthless club, you could have said uh, in the summer when Suarez was going there are a number of players at the club who have actually, who, whose whose reputation has been boosted by, from playing with Suarez Sturridge being, being a key one. And I think Rogers probably deserves some credit given how Sturridge has been, you know, his injury problems this season. He deserves some credit for his reluctance initially to want to take storage uh, to the club because, you know, this was the, the, these injury problems were known about. He would have known about them from his, you know, his, his connections with Chelsea. Um But if you were to say, "Let's sell a couple of, let's sell storage too, let's make a, you know, let's cash in in a kind of Southampton way," you would then want want to be confident that the players you bring in um, are going to be good enough. And this is Liverpool's problem they've they've wasted uh, they've wasted their kind of nest egg. They've blown this this money from Suarez, and you can't when, when when that's happening, you can't be confident of anything that's going to take place in a football club.
0: Brilliant stuff, Dion. Thanks a million. Cheers. Yeah, that, uh, the, the point that Dion raised raised there a couple of times was this promise that we would have had at the time that these new Liverpool owners... I think Liverpool supporters would... would, would they're certainly better than the last owners. Mm. I would accept that they've been probably quite good at most things. But this surgical a- analysis that they're going to employ, is whatever, uh, you know, the, 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 all the data analytics, all those kind of things, I mean, they bought... They bought, um, why have I told you, Andy Carroll, for a start. Mm. I mean, as soon as that happened, I thought, these guys aren't putting that much thought into the amount of But they weren't. There was no logic to spending that amount of money on it, bar they just got a load of money in for Fernando Torres. I mean, that's all that's gone now at this stage. But the way they've approached this transfer market, it seems like th- there isn't as much thought gone into it as... Uh, as we would have led to have been uh, as we were led to believe there would be when they first took over. Mm. The transfer market, I mean.
1: You almost wonder if John Henry might have been better off when he took over Liverpool saying, We're the dumbest guys in the room. <laughs> we really have not got any idea what we're doing here. Um and what's more, we're the only owners who are prepared to admit that, uh, even though everybody's actually in the same boat. Nobody knows anything. Um, and that's where we're starting from. Rather than coming in saying we're going to be we've got to make every dollar count we've, you know every every dollar every cent that we spend has to has to be spent more efficiently than our rivals because you know we don't have the same money as them, and you know to that end we're gonna we're just gonna be smarter than the other guys. You know what I mean? If you just said we're gonna be dumber than everyone, you would have at least lowered expectations. And there was
0: no need to talk too big at that stage no. because of the unpopularity unpopularity of the previous owners. You could say you're you're as dumb as you want, and you probably would have had a, a, a sympathetic ear.
1: Do whatever you're gonna do, just don't um, tell everybody about it in advance. You know, there's no need.
0: We've uh, another podcast ready and waiting featuring Johnny Sexton, Matt Williams, and Jerry Thorny in Ireland's win over Australia. Darren O'Neill, who was in South Korea watching Katie Taylor winning her fifth world championship. Darren got uh, quite emotionally invested in that one, as he told us. So you can have a listen to that whenever you get a chance. Now we are joined by Philippe Eau Claire, who was at the Emirates on Saturday. Philippe, Arsene Wenger called his team naive again after the game. And Manchester United had two teenage defenders in there and somehow looked less naive. It, is that down to the manager, really?
2: Um. Partly, yes, it has to be said, because the naivety was not just um, uh, in in terms of uh, making the most of the incredible number of chances that Arsenal created uh, in the first 15 minutes. It was absolutely ludicrous. When I'm looking at my notes, I was at the game and, you know, you you, you write down, oh, saved by De Gea, saved by De Gea. And I looked at it, I had already a full page full of uh, chances after 15 minutes. The naivety was not just in the finishing. The naivety was also, as it has been for a while, uh, in the way that the team was organised defensively. Because it was quite clear, I think, from the last five to ten minutes of the first half that Manchester United were getting a foothold back in the game and, and, and were playing with more confidence and certainly had a, a very precise game plan, which they were trying to stick to. Uh, which was a little bit shaky to start with, but they knew exactly what to do. This is not something I would have said of of the, that Arsenal team, and the way that they conceded the second goal in itself was was simply ludicrous. You cannot be in a situation when there is still a lot of time on the clock when you suddenly leave one defender having to face Angel Di Maria and Wayne Rooney bearing down on on him at full at full pelt. This is simply completely unacceptable. And there was nothing in the way that the game was panning out which uh, justified this kind of gung-ho attitude.
1: Well, that's the crazy thing, Philippe really, because it's not as though this is the first time that Arsenal have let in a goal uh, in which the ball travels from one end of the pitch to the other uh, through this uh, sparsely populated Mm -hmm. Arsenal half. I mean, that's happened in several recent games. So I'm wondering why this never seems to happen to teams which are managed by Jose Mourinho. I mean, it's, the, Arsene Wenger is standing on the sideline. He can he can influence this, and he, and he's not doing anything to change it.
2: It's it's very you know it, you, you you must have noticed like everybody else. It's very difficult to get any sense. Uh, well, it's a bit perhaps a bit cruel to say that, but okay, any sense from Arsene Wenger when it comes to explain how his teams are set up tactically after an encounter? Be it by the way, uh, after a win or, or after a defeat. Uh, there is very little in the way of explanation of uh, understanding exactly how the teams are set up. Um, Perhaps I should take an example here. Uh, You know that uh, not that long ago, just a few days ago, Per Matazaka was a guest uh, of uh, a a, a, a charitable evening uh, in favor of his his own foundation, also a a Jewish foundation. It took place in, in a synagogue in London. And Pere had to answer a number of questions about um, Arsenal, obviously. And most of these questions had to do with the fact that um, the people who were there were uh, wondering how it could be that Arsenal didn't seem to be well organized defensively at all. And it was very noticeable that this man, Per Matazaka, who is a world champion, who is the linchpin of this defense, found it extremely difficult to come up with any explanation, also was really struggling to find words. Mm-hmm. Which would not put him in the soup uh, with his manager. It's fairly obvious that not enough work is not being done on the training pitch, as far as this is concerned. And this is what is even what is really odd is that you thought that last season, where there were a number of problems in terms also of of, of attacking efficiency and so forth, at least after a, a shaky start, uh, the defense seemed to have stabilized. Um, certainly, the central pairing between Murtazaka and Koscielny. Uh, looked assured and looked really complimentary. And uh, in fact, in the second half, or even the last two-thirds of the season, Arsenal were quite solid at the back. And it seems like all this, the good work which had been done there has been uh, basically forgotten, which makes me think that the good work which had been done had a lot to do with the work that Kosciani and Mertusaka were doing as a pair. Yeah. Now that, now that is not, is not here anymore... And we've got a makeshift centre back. I mean, we could talk forever about the fact that Arsenal made a, I mean, a criminal mistake by not recruiting a, a, another central defender and and, and 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 another central midfielder. But the fact is, when Cristiano and Murata were together, uh, th- there was a, a level uh, there was some understanding between the two of them, and you, you didn't have the situation where suddenly you've got Nacho morale um, who is put in this very unfair position of of playing out of position? And heaven knows that central defender is a specialist position. Mm. And then everything going uh, you know everything going wrong around him because also there is nobody to protect him. It's it's a uh, yes when you know to come back to what you said, you were saying. We're talking about naivety. Uh, surely the manager has got to in fact be held responsible for most of what is happening because you look on the other side. You look at what Rivenhal did, and Rivenhal. Aside I had these problems in defense, this was the eighth uh, different combination in central defense since the first round of the Premier League. I'm talking about just the Premier League. So 12 games played, eight different combinations at center half, either in a back four or in a back three. And now you had uh, McNair and you had Blackett, uh, each side of, of uh, Smalling was supposed to be a liability. Mm. And what you saw is that they, they actually had very clear ideas, a very clear idea of What they were supposed to do of their positioning, their relationship with each other, yeah, there was no, was na- creaky, no naivety. But you know, obviously uh, with Van Hal had and also Van Hal had had to chop and change again at, at the last minute because of the injuries to, to Blind, for example. Yeah. So it's possible you can do it, you can make it work, but obviously, um, not at Arsenal.
1: The other issue that Arsenal have is uh, in fairness, also a lack of quality compared to. Uh, it's only a couple of seasons since players like Cesc Fabregas and, okay, Samir Nasri may not be to everyone's taste, but nobody can deny that the guy has a lot of ability uh, and yeah. was a very good player for Arsenal. The players that are in their midfield now are not on the same level. I mean, Jack Wilshire is obviously the great new hope of, of Arsenal. There's banners to him around the stadium. I really can't work this guy out, Philippe. I mean, we all saw what happened yesterday. He, he's he got a bad miss early on. Um, then he's involved mm. in this... Um, bad tempered exchange let's say with Fellaini could easily have been sent off for that i think
2: he should have been sent off he yes.
1: should have been sent off and and then he's um then he ends up getting injured which happens all too often with him i mean just specifically in terms of that um that confrontation with Fellaini he does seem to have a bit of a short fuse, Wilshire. Is this because he's a player who takes on... He doesn't on... seem
2: to have a fuse at all. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, so you would say it's, it's, it's something that this guy needs to control. It's not a case of a guy who feels under so much pressure or takes on so much responsibility for his team. It's just a, a kid who needs to sort his head out.
2: He's not a kid anymore. He's a, he's a father. Uh, he's 22 years of age, isn't he? Mm. Or oh, he's, he's in 20, 22nd year, certainly. Um he's done that repeatedly and he, he integrated the first team at a very young age so it's not as if he were new to the game I think we will show it's more of a question of uh, you're wondering how many times he's going to do the same mistakes over and over again particularly as he, he's not blessed with the strongest of bodies and that which is a big problem is he has very fragile ankles which you will know for a footballer is probably the worst possible thing to have because he's going to come back and and again and again and again is um, completely reckless in the way he challenges uh, other players he 's got great talent, and what is really frustrating is that he seems to have found some of his acceleration back on the first you know four or five yards. He still have this uh, way to drive at a position which is really quite uh, quite exciting to watch and also um, can create a, a lot of problems for for the opponent but in terms of finishing it it 's dreadful for a player of that level. Why he decides to go with his left boot again when he just has to cross the ball with his right and to the corner of the net, I don't know. It's, it's incomprehensible. And and these um, flare-ups on the pitch are something are things which happen far, far too often. And you wonder if it's not the case that it's always going to be like that. And um, it's going to be extremely difficult for, um, to, for anybody to find a way to... Um, harness and, and to channel the extraordinary energy that he's got and the aggressivity that he's got and the talent he's got into something which is uh, which looks like an end product. I mean, perhaps, you know, with the England team, he's who who been excellent for, for, for the England team uh, of late, uh, but perhaps not at this. You know, you might say that the England team doesn't play quite at the same level. Um, but I, I, I think I'm, I'm starting to wonder if it's already too late which is extraordinary to say that about somebody you know who was a teenager not that long ago but it's the repetition of the mistakes everybody makes mistakes but if you repeat them once twice three times you know you know the old saying about definition of madness and repetition of the same thing expecting a different result every time and um it's it's something with with Wilshire i think everybody who follows arsenal including arsenal fans will ask themselves that question, is it something that simply he cannot get rid of?
0: Yep. Uh, they, well, hopefully he can, because he's, he's a decent player at his best, I think. But listen, Philippe, we'll leave it there. Great stuff. Thank you.
2: Thank you very much.
0: That's interesting, isn't it? If Per Meadowsacker, well, without saying it, but he's doing public appearances where he makes p- pretty clear that he's, p- thinks maybe the defensive side of things will be worked on a little bit more at Arsenal. <laughs> I'm sure every centre-half has said that for the last 15 years, but... It's thought that at some stage. Um,
1: Yeah, uh, I mean, there's nothing left to say about it. As long as Arsene Wenger is the Arsenal manager, this will keep happening.
0: Marion Fellaini, by the way, uh, um, of course, which should have been sent off. This is a funny thing because people give out about diving. Uh, You know, there should be a three-match ban. This is the only way to stamp it out. But if current rules are enforced properly, I think that'll have a big effect. Give a yellow to a player who dives, which doesn't always happen. And also, if you're a referee, you can't think less of an offence because the recipient doesn't jump on the ground. If, I a dive, if I'm watching that in professional football, I'm thinking well, if you stand up to these things, the other guy doesn't get sent off. Mm. Whereas if you allow yourself to fall over, you're gone. Fellini showed a bit of uh, admirable uh, bit of restraint there, but he also allowed Willyshire to stay on the field when a dive would have got him definitely sent off because it was a, a, as clear a head contact, you, know, you can call it a butt or whatever, as you're going to see.
1: If only Fellaini had shown the uh, presence of mind of that other big man, Edwin van der Sar,
0: <laughs> uh,
1: who crumpled to the ground when Ariel Ortega... Yeah, my
0: my point is, I don't want uh, no, nobody. Well, most people don't want to see that happen, and they want to see less of it in the sport. But it's so clear that there's it does fool referees, not even fool referees. When the foul has actually been committed, worthy of a yellow or red card, it confirms it in the mind of the referee. Yeah. Whereas he, a ref should be strong enough to think, okay, he hasn't gone down there, but that doesn't mean I'm off the hook. I've still got to send this guy off. He's, he's, he's just. Or well, what if he
1: didn't go. do anything? What if he just sort of walked into Fellaini aggressively? I mean, what if he? You know, if would that be in itself be a red card offense? Sort of walking into him, nuzzling into his. No, but his, there was
0: more to it than that. That's, that's oh, there was, was. no, yeah. it, but
1: but the referee obviously didn't see that. Now, he needs Fellaini's, uh, you know, to to accentuate the sort of follow through part.
0: Did the ref not see it, or did the ref see it? But mm, I man,
1: mean, this cause and effect, and yeah. if the referee can see the effect, his brain immediately yeah. computes the cause that might have resulted in such an effect, and that's why. Players dive and exaggerate contact in order to create the impression that there was more going on than there really was. So Fellaini stands there impassively and gives the impression, you know, he's like as immovable as Mount Rushmore. And uh, he gives the impression nothing, you know, Wiltshire has done has affected him in any way. Then the referee maybe doesn't see that Wiltshire kind of has butted him on the underside of the jaw.
0: Our podcast number one it's already out there for you we talked about Katie and we talked that's Katie Taylor obviously winning the fifth world title and the rugby as well quite a bit about the relationship between Joe Schmidt and Paul O'Connell and how that's developing this year you can have a listen to that one as uh, you can all our podcasts on iTunes on SoundCloud uh, if you are an Android phone Podcast Republic app is a good one and you can follow us on Twitter at Second Captains and on Facebook uh, thanks very much for listening to this show thank you again
1: thank you too Anne.
0: Uh, thanks again and we'll chat to you again soon